1: He knew when it was time to stand up on that mountainside in Matthew 5-7 through and teach. He understood the importance of giving. He gave his all. And he knew how to lead. He took 12 and, well, one of them went by the wayside. But the other 11, they changed the world. And he embodied love. So so the first step to living life God's way, I'm just telling you, it always goes back to the gospel. Everything in your life goes back to the gospel. The first step to living God's way is surrendering to Jesus. Then you begin to say, all right, God, I'm created in your image. I'm saved by your grace How then am I distinct? You're not one in a million. You're one in all of creation. So how do you discover that? That's what Paul is dealing with in the following verses. Uh, Look in verse 4. Just as each one of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us, and then it goes through the list, seven of them. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So, so just like in... Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he's reminding Christ's followers, you are a body, not unlike the human body. There are a bunch of different parts. We are different, but we're one. By the way, that's why the Scripture teaches us repeatedly about the Trinity, that which we have trouble understanding. But the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Distinct, different, yes. One, yes. Diversity, and yet unity. And and that's what the church is. When we're functioning healthy, we're a body, a body that is diverse, but a body that enjoys unity. Remember how we talked about how different parts of the body have a different role? I cursed myself last week because I gave this illustration and then I went home and I experienced it. When I stumped my toe, you stump your toe, and in a millisecond, the nerves send a message to the brain and you think, ah, that hurt. And then in another millisecond, the brain sends a message to the tongue and you say, ouch. And then in another millisecond, the brain sends a message to the hand and the hand reaches down and begins to rub the toe. All different parts of the body all with important functions that's why i want you to unwrap your gift you you have a function in the body and when you unwrap your gift life's more enjoyable and when you unwrap your gift the body the church is edified and and when you unwrap your gift it points others to jesus because they say wow now that person is living in their area of giftedness but what happens if the body's not functioning properly we have a term for that right Sickness, illness. I've heard all my life and it it seems to be somewhat true in the church too often. 20% of the people do what? 80% of the work. I'm not sure that is true anymore. I think it may be more like 15% do 85%. But think of what we're saying if that's true. If 80% of the body is not doing what it's supposed to do, is the body healthy If 80% of the body is not doing what the body is supposed to do, is the body healthy? No, of course not. And yet we wonder why our churches are not impacting our cities and and our state and, and our nation and the world. It's a body life problem. There's sickness. Maybe there's cancer in the body. And it's got to be addressed. Think, think, hold out your hand or some other part of your body to look at. And If you're sitting at home eating your donut, maybe just look down at your belly that's poking out. And just think, imagine that 80% of your body stops functioning. What would you do? And yet too often that's the church. And so Paul is trying to help us understand what our roles are. He goes through seven gifts. These gifts are needed in every church. I believe these gifts are represented in every church. And I would go a step further. I tend to believe that every Christ follower has one of these gifts as a primary motivating factor in their spiritual journey. In other words, this is what makes you tick. And yes, you have talents and yes, you have personalities, but if we could sum you up, we could use one of these words, these motivational gifts, and we could say, that's why they act the way they are. And when it functions properly in the body, man, it makes a difference. So let's walk through those. The first of these is prophecy. Prophecy. Now, now, prophecy in Scripture is utilized in a couple of different ways. In Scripture, We see prophecy in foretelling, that's telling the future, and then we also see prophecy just telling forth. The Old Testament prophets did both. In fact, if they got the future telling wrong, you know what would happen to a prophet? They would be taken to the outskirts of the city and they would be stoned to death. In the New Testament, we see this begin to move beyond just a telling of the future to telling forth the truth of God. So while I don't believe that there are still prophets who give us new revelations from God, I believe we have the full counsel of God's Word contained in Scripture. There are those who speak forth the truth of God. The motivation is to reveal the will of God by presenting God's truth. What are some characteristics of this person? Do you have the gift of prophecy? Maybe they're bold and persuasive. They desire to see change. On a personal level, they're loyal. They're open to embrace their own brokenness because they see so clearly the brokenness of the world. They see things in black and white. It's either right or wrong. People of strong conviction. They're, They're quick to make judgments. But you see, all of these gifts can be manifested when we're walking in the spirit, and they can be displayed even when we're walking in the flesh. So what's the negative ways this may appear? Well, They may appear judgmental or too harsh. They may need to remember compassion of Christ. There are biblical examples of all of these. I think Peter would be a great example of this gift of prophecy in the New Testament. He was always quick to say what he thought, right? And and God's Word gives us some examples of when he does that in the spirit and when he does it in the flesh. Do you have that gift of prophecy? The next in the list is the gift of serving. Serving. This is the motivation to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs. The prophet is going to be out front. They're not going to mind being in the limelight and telling you this is the way it is. The servant prefers the background. They just see a need and desire to meet the need. They find joy in serving and doing. If you're in a setting and you have this gift of servant, you, for example, in a worship service, you see that person near you tearing up, you start looking around and say, are there any tissues? Or, or you see someone needs a chair, you go and try to find one. Or someone's throat has a catch in it, you you look for a bottle of water. Because you, you, you're fulfilled when you're meeting the needs of others. Now, this too can be dangerous because you can be pushy and, and try to treat everybody else like you are and think that they want to serve in the same way. You also may feel left out if you're not served the way that you serve others. In the New Testament, I think Timothy, Paul's apprentice, is a great example of this servanthood, this gift of service. But there's another one. You're familiar with her. Martha. Yes, she was the servant. She was the one that wanted to do what was necessary to serve. Do you have the gift of service? about the gift of teaching the teacher has the motivation to clarify and validate the truth that's been presented so they love to research they're all about systems focus on accuracy and details they delight in the intellect and the gaining of knowledge so what's the dangers and become a little legalistic maybe can become dogmatic They may appear to be just a facts, the person, so they're not really interested in you. They just want the facts. And then Scripture teaches us what knowledge can do. Knowledge puffs up, right? You see this a lot in, in, I see this a lot in church circles today. This pursuit of intellect has caused some to think that's the end all. And it it leads to a person in the body that can become educated beyond their obedience. biblical example of this teacher is Dr. Luke. We've got Luke and Acts written by Dr. Luke. And just look at the detail. And he gives us the specifics. You see that throughout Scripture. You have the gift of teaching? Could that be you? You find joy in sharing what you've learned with others in that way? How about the gift of exhortation or encouragement? the exhorter. This is the motivation to stimulate and encourage the faith of other people. They are going to to counsel you to be your best for the glory of God. They're very hopeful. They're going to give you practical application, maybe even sometimes at the expense of the information. They love those steps. And so sometimes it may seem to oversimplify things, maybe a little too much emphasis sometimes on what you can do on yourself. But boy, they make you feel good. <laughs> They're encouragers. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this exhorter because, uh, well, just think about it. That's why so much of the New Testament is from the Apostle Paul. He's writing these letters to Christians, and what is he trying to do? Come on, guys, get in the game. You can do this. Here's why and here's how. So just finish the race, guys. Come on. Keep on keeping. That's the Apostle Paul. The exhorter, the encourager. Do you have the gift of exhortation? The gift of giving. The gift of giving. Now, this is interesting because some of you think, well, I don't have that because I don't have money. Eh, not necessarily a requirement for the gift of giving. This is a motivation to use your time, your talent, your energy, and resources to benefit others and advance the gospel. Now, often we do see that these folks have organized their personal business well. They may not be wealthy, But they've administrated what they do have so that they can utilize that for God's glory. They're also going to give quietly and freely. They pursue excellence, and they're concerned with how things are done with excellence. And often this person is content themselves with having less. The negative, of course, is they could seem focused on stuff, and they give so freely, they kind of think you should give freely too. And if you're not careful, they may seem a little too high-pressure. Let me give you a couple of examples of these. I believe Matthew had the gift of giving. Now, he was a tax collector, so this is kind of funny. But when, when we read in the gospel of Matthew, when we read what Matthew had to say, he talks more about giving and gives us more of the teaching of Jesus on giving than anywhere else in the Bible. And, and then I also think we can look to a man named Barnabas as someone with the gift of giving. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, it says the early church was meeting one another's needs. And Barnabas, Barnabas had this land, and we don't know that if, if he had invested in this land, or, or we don't know if it was inheritance or what, but Barnabas had this land, and he sold the land, and you know what he did? He brought it to the church, gathered, and he gave it. The gift of giving. you have the gift of giving? And then the gift of leadership. Sometimes this is called administration. It's the motivation to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. So this person is able to see things from a bird's eye view. They see the big picture. They are administrators. They're self-starters. They're able to break a big goal into small tasks. They delegate naturally. If you're looking at them from the outside, you may think they're lazy because they're telling everybody else what to do. If they're in the flesh, they they may cause others to feel misused. And if they're not careful, they can sometimes make it seem like the project or the program is more important than the person. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Biblically, I think um, James is a good example of this. James um, pastored the church at Jerusalem. And as you read the writing in the book of James, what does he tell us again and again? He tells us that our faith needs to be put into action. He's trying to motivate the church to do. And then the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy or compassion is the motivation to identify with and and give comfort to persons who are in distress. So this person naturally relates, both mentally and emotionally. They have a capacity to empathize. You, You talk to them and you think they understand they know what I'm feeling. You talk to the prophet and you think, they don't care what I'm feeling. But the mercy person, yeah. They're always going to look for the best. They're going to be sensitive. They love people and desire friendship. Now, in the negative, they may depend a little too much on emotion and not enough on knowledge. And also, that sensitivity, it works both ways, right? Right? They can get their feelings hurt pretty easy. So you have to be careful for the flesh in that way. John in the Bible. John the beloved. Great an example of this gift of mercy. But there's another one. She's the partner with Martha. You know who it is? Yeah, Mary. Mary just wanted to show how much she loved. You see these different gifts? How how they motivate you. So everything you begin to do as a follower of Christ begins to flow out of these. They they are what make us tick. And it affects every area of our lives. My dad, you know, he was a strong personality too, and he had a lot of talents and gifts, but he was the prophet. That was his primary gift, the prophet. And he would tell you, he would tell you like it was. I mean, this is kind of funny. Some of you are old enough to remember this, but I, I distinctly remember a Sunday night. I don't know how this fit into the context and the exposition of the scripture, but I distinctly remember him just shouting out, I'd rather be dead than red. He was just always clear to tell us what he thought. My mom is the mercy gift. I mean, like, still to this day. I'm gonna be quiet in case she's watching, because she's kind of hard of hearing. But still to this day, it's hard to have a conversation with tears without tears just coming to her eyes. She's just full of compassion. So I can remember how this played out practically in college life. I mean, as a college boy, I might call home and I was out of money and I'd talk to my dad and say, Hey dad, I'm sorry, but I could use a little help. I'm I'm kind of out of money, and instantly be like, Well, what'd you do with it? Where is it? You need a budget. Do you have a budget? You need to control your spending. And you know what I would say? Uh, Could you put mom on the phone? (laughs) If if I'm lying, I'm dying. It would be like, hey, honey, I'll call you back in a little bit. All right. She wants to meet that need. And, And the truth is, even in a family, it takes both of those, right? And in a church, it takes all of us. And when all of us are not functioning, that means there's sickness in the body. When you're not using your gift for his glory, you're you're contributing to the sickness. You know, doctors tell us that we've all had cancer. Did you realize that? Because here's what cancer is. Cancer is a renegade cell. It's a cell that has decided it doesn't like what the rest of the body is doing. So it goes on a mission of destruction. And what's crazy in the body, cancer begins to form when those cells, they team up. And they invite other cells to join them in this renegade mission. And that's when a tumor develops. And then something crazy happens. Those renegade cells that have banded together, all of a sudden they look out into the body and they say, let's go explore. And that's when cancer metastasizes. It goes into the lymph nodes or into the bloodstream and it goes throughout the body. And before long, the bodies eat up with cancer. And more of the body if it's not dealt with, is unhealthy, then it's healthy. But I begin by saying we've all, we've all had cancer because we've, we've all had that renegade cell. But in a healthy body, the other cells push that out. The other cells make the difference. And the body operates and functions in a healthy way. You, you're either a part of helping make us more healthy, or you are a part of cancer within the body. Why would you want to be that? (laughs) So instead, let's discover what makes us tick. Let's discover what it is that has caused us to be different and unique and special in the body of Christ. And let's use those gifts for his glory. Now, two things before I pray. Number one, you're not sure which gift you have? It's okay. They may take a process of discovering that. But all of these things still take place as a part of the spiritual fruit in your life. Remember, gifts are different from fruit. So you still have to tell the truth. (laughs) You still have to sometimes serve. You still may need to learn and and teach others. You get the picture? You need to encourage. You need to give. Sometimes you have to step up and lead. And we're always supposed to show compassion, right? Some of us are just driven by one of these things more naturally. All right? Secondly, you don't have all of these. But I know someone who does. See, Jesus embodied every gift. And so he knew when it was time to go to the temple and turn over the table. And speak truth. He knew when it was time to step in the background and serve and show that a servant is greater than the master. He knew when it was time to stand up on that mountainside in Matthew 5-7 through and teach. He, he knew what it was like to gather those disciples together and encourage them. He, he understood the importance of giving. He gave his all, and he knew how to lead. He took 12, and well, one of them went by the wayside, but the other 11, they changed the world, and he embodied love. And so we end where we began. If you really want to learn what makes you tick, you first got to yield to Jesus. Let
2: him take charge in your life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support.